0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm Ciara Minova, your host, and today's topic is 10 Minutes to Better Mental Health. Let's get started. 10 Minutes to Better Mental Health is a book that shows you how you can improve your mental well-being with 10-minute steps and quick exercising using cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness techniques. Our guest speaker is one of the amazing authors of the book, Dr. Lee David. Dr. Lee David is a GP and accredited CBT therapist at NHS Practitioner Health. She's also a mental health course director, educator, speaker, and of course, author. I'm super honored to have Dr. Lee appear on our podcast today to speak about her book, 10 Minutes to Better Mental Health, a step-by-step guide for teens using CBT and mindfulness, which was co-written with Debbie Bruin. So this book incorporates very interesting and science-breaking methods such as building healthy habits and self-confidence, how to deal with anxiety and worry, and how to create healthy habits in life using these mindfulness and CBT techniques, which we will be talking about. So we'll be discussing some of the methods derived from the book and how we can utilize them. This book is now available on Amazon Worldwide, and I will share the link in the description box below of this episode and highly, highly recommend that you get your copy. It is just awesome. Dr. Lee. welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a huge believer of um, self-responsibility for you know manifesting the life you want and dreaming about being powerful enough to do it. And I think Many of us don't believe in our power enough or in our capacity to achieve what we want. And I think the beauty of this book is exactly that, the ability to really capture some of the core principles of consistency, understanding our strengths, and envisioning an action. And I know it's targeted towards teens, but I think everyone and all of us can can benefit from this. So I'd like to start off by understanding why you think this book is needed in the world today and what made you and Debbie Brown come together to write this book?
1: Well, I think, you know, following the pandemic and a lot of enforced isolation, mental health problems have become a real challenge um, for both young people and adults. Um, and, you know, we're really seeing an increase now I work for Practitioner Health, which supports mental health in health professionals. Um, And again, we're seeing a real increase in in the numbers of people who are struggling at the moment. So we're just aware of you know, the world is finding it is struggling. There are a lot of mental health problems. And we just wanted people are really busy. That's where the 10 minute idea comes from. I'm a GP by background and we typically have 10 minute consultations. So I love the idea of, of being able to find things that you can do um, in five or 10 minutes
0: that actually might make a genuine difference to your life. Wow. Yeah, that's very beautifully said. And I agree. We currently live in such a fast-paced world um, so that when it comes to actually utilizing our time, um, it's so important to make use of it. And I think what your book really incorporates is these little snippets and short exercises, which we'll be talking about further on. I'd like to read um, a passage actually from your book, if you don't mind, which I really love about value, and I also think captures really well. So I'd like to quote, values are not easy to define. A value is like a life direction, an internal compass that guides you through life. Your values can affect the choices you make and the actions and behaviors you carry out. To identify your values, think about what is really important in your life, end quote. So I think, uh, you know, deep down or somehow subconsciously, we understand or we know that values are important. I think when we're younger, we really tend to think about our values. But at least personally for me, I noticed as we get into adulthood, we don't always actively think about them, but they are very important. So why have you stressed on the importance of value in this book? And how do you think it's related to our mental health? Well, we, we start with the idea of values because I think it's so fundamental
1: because, you know, I don't think having uh, mental health is not about fixing people who are somehow broken. It's about expanding your opportunities and thinking about really who you want to be, what you care about, and then moving your life in that direction. And so it can become a much more inspirational idea rather than just trying to kind of patch up bits that you want to change about yourself it's about being much more exciting than that and thinking well, you know what do I really care about in life and that's really important because some of the changes we need to make for well-being you know whether it's overcoming um, low mood or depression whether it's facing our fears of anxiety we have to face some uncomfortable moments there and you need something to help you be brave enough to do that um, and actually, it's the kind of beacon of thinking, I'm doing this because this really matters because I want this kind of life. I want to be able to live this type. I want to be this type of person. I want my life to have this. I want to connect with my family, you know, whatever it is. And then unless
0: we have that, it's very difficult to motivate yourself to make some of these difficult changes. No, absolutely. And it's actually very interesting you said that because when I think about people who are happy or at least... Um, it's subjectively speaking, right? What is happiness, but it's usually people that do the things they love. And even personally for me, um, I've noticed the moment I became happy is actually when I shifted my career into doing something that I love, you know, started my master's on something that I'm passionate about. And the same goes for a very, you know, Good colleague of mine who had, you know, diagnosed with depression for six years. And she also had an alcohol addiction and things like that. But the minute she started incorporating her values and her passions and things that she really truly believes are important in life, that's when the shift started happening. And so I really agree with you. Sometimes it's just about going back to the basics and the core principles to be able to see kind of the bigger picture rather than that, you know, being stuck in that everyday life. I agree, and I think
1: also if you think about it 's much easier sometimes to to seek out meaning and purpose in life to do things that are important and meaningful than it is to necessarily find happiness is very you know a bit flaky it, it 's insubstantial it 's hard to grasp, and if we spend all our time seeking out happiness, we start comparing ourselves to others am I as happy as so and so you know we start looking on social media and comparing ourselves, and actually that 's a spiraling negative um route which can actually make us feel more distressed and, and so instead if we focus on what matters to me and can i do it whether i'm happy or not but actually that often brings much more contentment which i think is often easier um to aspire towards yeah absolutely
0: so lee you also incorporate mindfulness um as kind of one of the main techniques used in this book And usually when I think of mindfulness, the first thing that comes to my mind is some form of meditation or Eastern teachings about being aware of our breath, um, which also has now become very popular in the West. But can you tell us a bit about how you use mindfulness in this book and how you think we need to incorporate the term mindfulness?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question, because actually, whilst we we talk about the term mindfulness on the cover, then we very rarely use that word in the book, because people do bring with it lots of ideas about what it means, whether they're good at it or not good at it, whether they want to do it. And actually, um, so we use the term uh, observe and open um, rather than mindfulness, but we're really referring to kind of micro moments of mindfulness. Which we use to just observe and notice both inside and outside. So it's really just creating a micro sort of spaces of awareness where we notice I'm having this feeling. Um, I'm having the thought that, um, oh, right now I'm feeling a bit stressed or I'm starting to feel low and I'm having the urge to curl up and just avoid people. And so it's just being aware and then maybe also using grounding, um, to help manage processing of difficult emotions so creating a bit more space so maybe we use our five senses um if someone's having you know they're caught in an emotional storm of anxiety um then maybe i would encourage them to listen to the sounds to um look for colors around to feel just to scrunch their feet up on the ground maybe sort of stretch their arms up or wiggle their seat on the chair and just notice what my physical body's here um but it only has to take maybe you know ten. 20, 30 seconds or a minute to just step out of those difficult feelings for a minute, create a little bit of space for them. Um, and, and in that space comes choice where you can choose what's helpful. What do I want to do? What, what am I going to do now? And, and not getting caught up in the autopilot where we respond in the same ways, which are often vicious cycles
0: yeah very well said. I like the word observe because uh, it's a it's a very powerful word um to be observant like you mentioned. how many of the times are we really observant of our feelings of our emotions of our surroundings right every most of the time uh, and I'm guilty of this myself we are on kind of like this autopilot mode actually I think when I was reading on an on an anxiety book, there was something called the three 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 rule, uh, which basically talks about something similar of what you were saying. It's like um, first, when you feel like you're getting either a panic attack or you're getting anxious, like your anxiety's kicking in, like stop for a second. First pay attention to the sounds. Like, what do you hear? Second, look around you. Like, what do you see? And apparently, like you mentioned, this is kind of like a grounding technique. Um, so it kind of brings you back to the to the present moment. So it's all very, very interesting. But another one of the techniques that you mentioned, and it's a very common methodology in psychology, uh, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And CBD techniques are actually one of my favorites. Um, I've done CBT therapy myself with my therapist. And and it worked great for me personally, uh, because I like how it focuses on the here and now. So a lot of the times it's something you can work on instantly. Although I feel like CBT sessions take a while, but in your book, you have this really amazing way of making it into, schno- into short and really cool snippets. Can you tell me what's your favorite CBT technique from your book and how it works? And perhaps a, just a very quick and brief intro to CBT just for our listeners who aren't really familiar with it.
1: Yeah, so CBT is, is quite an evidence-based therapy for, for quite a lot of problems like anxiety, depression. And it involves, the C stands for cognitive, so it's changing changing what how we think. And B is behavioral, so it's changing what we do. Um, now actually we, we use a little bit of CBT sort of, but we also use acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a third wave, um, version of CBT where there's a bit less kind of, um, some of the cognitive challenging that you might traditionally see in, in CBT. We, we, we do a little bit less emphasis on that and more greater emphasis on simply noticing. So it, it links with mindfulness really as well. Um, noticing that thoughts have come up, and then deciding is this a thought that's helpful or unhelpful for me, and do I want to listen to it, and what action am I going to take? Mm. Um, but we we've actually woven it. Our, our approach to to using therapy using a four step grow model, um, and the four the four steps are G for guide, and we've we've already talked about that, haven't we? Which is your inner guide is is your values? It's what do you care about, and what direction do you want to take. And then the R is ready for action. And that's the behavior of CBT. Um, so for that, we're talking about what micro steps. And I think this, is, if, if you had to pick one, it would be this one. It's the behavior. It's what micro steps move me towards my values. Um, and I love micro steps because they only have to take between three and 10 minutes to do something. Um, they're not going to fix your life problems. They're not going to solve all your problems by doing one micro step. But what they do do is that they break some of these patterns that we've got into where we've got unhealthy habits of, of of behaving that are actually not really working for us. And so we do something really small, but it's different. And we start to think, oh, I don't have to do my old patterns. Maybe I can, maybe I actually can start. And so it's like a snowball effect where you are able to make more change um, and improves your sort of, self belief that you're capable of change and that's often one of the first things that we need to work on the o of the the grow model is then open and observe we've talked about that already it's the kind of it's mindfulness it's having choice and then the w is back to the cognitive part of cbt um it's your wise mind it's well you know um and we're thinking about things like perspective you know if i if i was up on the top of a mountain thinking about this if i if i fast forwarded 5 years to the future what would be my perspective then? Mm. Um, and we use the observe to create space to listen to our wise mind. And I think when you make a bit of space, people have got a wise mind already. We're not making a new one. They really do have it. It's just about letting letting it bubble up, not forcing it or arguing with our worry thoughts or our, our low mood thoughts, but actually just letting the wise mind come up when you make that space. And I think the other aspect of Wise Mind is about being compassionate. It's about being kind to ourselves rather than critical and being supportive and being that. It's kind of like being an inner coach rather than a judger, critic, Mm. and a negative um, commentator, but somebody who wants to get the best out of us through support and and, and encouragement.
0: Wow. The inner coach. I love that. It's like who do I want to see today? <laughs> when when your brain starts talking as it usually does, right? Especially with people who are anxious or do have depressive kind of tendencies, that rumination kind of aspect of it, right? So it's like, nope, today I don't want to talk to the judge. <laughs> I, I want to talk to my inner coach and just um, just be okay with 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 what's happening. Yeah, that's very interesting. So grow, as you said, is I think one of the main techniques used in this book, which is absolutely beautiful. And as you mentioned, it's follow your guide, get ready for action, be open and observe, and use your wise mind. Can you give us an example of how this can be used? Can it be used in the context of someone who wants to start something new? Or is it more related, you would say, to your emotions or both? How do you think people can incorporate this
1: well, the, what I love about this is that it's so flexible and you can use it for all kinds of different things. So you can use it for, I've used it for people with depression. Um, I've used it for people with anxiety and I've used it for coaching, um, supporting somebody who wanted, um, so for example, I, I used it with, with a sports person who, who was having some low mood and she was really struggling with, with starting to, to feel low and anxious when playing her sport and she was amazing really really great at sport but she when when she got into a competitive situation then she started doubting herself Mm -hmm. um and then her her critic her inner critic would pop up and start saying well you you're not doing well enough you're going to lose this you're going to lose this game and you're going to look like an idiot what's the matter with you why can't you do better you should be able to play better um, and of course, that's really distracting. You know, when you're actually trying to focus and, and concentrate on playing sport, and your mind is coming up with all these thoughts, it's a bit like someone tapping you on the shoulder in the midst of a really important point. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was distracting her from engaging um, with doing that. So we use the GROW model. Um, so we've, we we started out by saying, well, why do you do sport? You know, wh- what's the point? And she said, "Well, I, I love it. You know, I love the feeling of playing. It's so important to me. Um, I just love being part of something. Um, and it's not just about winning. Actually, I just love the game itself, and I, and I really it's something that gives me a lot of satisfaction. So it, it moved beyond. I just need to win this game. To I really care about sport, and actually that matters to me. And and so we were then able to st- think think about some ready for action. Right, one are the micro steps um, that involve So instead of thinking, I need to win this match, you know, it's like, well, I need to focus on playing in a way that feels consistent with my guide. And I want to think about my inner coach as well as my outer, she had an outer coach as well. But, you know, her inner coach needed to to be drawn on to say, this is about playing as best you can, recognizing that you can't guarantee if you're going to win or not. You can only play. So, so why not enjoy playing and actually focus on um, just playing, enjoying this moment, each one, one by one. Every point that you play is a one by one step. Um, so we set some ready for some little goals, which were that she was going to um, use her. Actually, for her, a, a key goal was to use open and observe. So when she was getting caught up in that worry mind, the anxious mind and the critic mind would both pop up. Then she'd use open observe. So she'd grip, you know, the, the, the club that she was playing with because she was a, a golf player and she'd, she'd grip them with her hands. She'd, she'd look around at the color. She'd take a, a slow breath and just feel that in her body and just ground herself and take a breath and then focus on carrying on playing the sport as best she could. And so she used open observe just momentarily in between to steady herself. Now, when it came to the wise mind, it's possible to get into an argument, you know, with the critic and the anxious part and the anxious part is like, what if you mess it up? What if you miss? What if you hit it wayy wide, wide and everyone laughs at you or, you know, and then you'll be right, you'll be so stupid, you know, and then there's this sort of shame feeling start popping up. So... um you know, and you could argue with those and say, shut up, why are you getting on at me? I'm doing my best. But actually, that's very distracting in the middle of, mm. of playing golf, you don't want to be having an argument. <laughs> so actually, you can sometimes say, okay, I hear you, anxiety, you really want me to play well, and you don't want me to mess up the shot. Thank you for your contribution. And, and thank you, critic. I know that you want me to do well as well. You really, <laughs> you want me to do well. And I, I understand your motivation is to encourage me. But but actually it's a bit distracting right now. So what I'm gonna do is just ask you both to just step back um because I'm gonna focus on doing what's important. I'm going back to my inner guide and I'm gonna ask myself what matters. And what matters right now is to just play this single point and that's what I'm gonna do. Um and I'm gonna do the best that I can with everything I've got today, and maybe I'm in a good day, and maybe I'm tired today and I'm injured, or maybe I can't, you know, I'm just gonna do what I've got today. And that's how I'm gonna and so actually that was really, so you can see that I'm, you're kind of looping through the different steps. It's not just a linear process. You're going round and round.
0: Lee, that was absolutely beautiful. It, it was so lovely. Just, just the way you put everything. Um, I really enjoyed you getting into the details. And I think for our listeners, this can be super useful, just kind of mapping it and putting it into practicality. That that was really great. Thank you for that. And it kind of reminded me of the show on Netflix called Big Mouth. And it's like an animation. Um Basically, it just shows a bunch of like young adults that have these characters that pop up. So every time they go through, they each have their own little hormone monster. And then they have these different little characters that come that when they feel ashamed, like you said, the shame uh, wizard pops up. And then when they feel love, you know, the love bug comes through. So it's it's so interesting because it's like, all these characters, you can even think of emotions as little characters that play in our head. And it's just about how you deal with them. And like you said, you could go on and argue with them. But in fact, it's even more distracting. It's, it's much more helpful to do it otherwise. Yeah, I just really, really enjoyed that. I really like the movie Inside Out as well yes. um which, which
1: actually also has characters for emotions and I love the fact that the the the, the, person, the, the character that saves the day is sadness yes. um because we often do a lot to try to avoid sadness we do a lot we get stuck in anger or anxiety and actually we sometimes need to be connect with grief or sadness because something didn't work out and actually that's so important and I and I think I, I really love that movie it actually brings so much depth I really like the uh, the parts kind of idea. And I, I talk to people about, you know, imagine that you've just got this complex team inside you and you've got your anxious part, you've got your critic part um, and the anxious part wants to hide away and, and kind of not face any risk. And, and they keep you safe. They stop, you know, they, they actually bring, they maybe they are right. Maybe there is a risk you can avoid, but you don't want them to dominate because otherwise right. you never take any risks and actually you limit your life. And same with the low mood part. Sometimes you need time to just recharge and, and curl up and just watch TV for the, for the night. But you don't mm-hmm. want to do that every single day because you're too depressed to go and face the world. And so we have this kind of, um, and, and yes, and your, your critic part is often the part that wants you to do well and actually wants you to achieve and is trying to motivate success, but is doing it through criticism rather than encouragement. <laughs> so we can use this kind of idea of having, um a team where we've got all these complex people on our team and they will actually bring something amazing, but we don't want any one of them to be dominating. The one that we want to be the leader of the team is is our wise mind, our inner coach. They're the one that listens to everyone. Everyone gets to be heard because who doesn't want to be heard? But when it comes to making the tough decisions about what to do in a particular situation, then it's wise mind. Who's got perspective, compassion, understands complexity of the world, doesn't get stuck with just, you know, one approach is maybe more willing to be flexible or overcome difficulties. And so it's wise mind who we need to make the final decision about what to do.
0: How great is that? Yeah, again, you you explained that really well. How great is it if you think of sadness or the inner critic as as, as you mentioned, as a character that's trying to teach you something, it's, it's not against you, it's with you, but maybe it's not doing it in the best way. Right. We can, we can kind of look at it that way. I, I also want to uh, talk about before we, you know, wrap it up. Um, I I'm aware of the time, but I also want to talk about what you feel is the importance of repetition and consistency for our overall, um, well-being for me, I'm a person that loves a routine. When I follow a pattern, it allows me to achieve my goals. And maybe I'm a creature of habit, you could say, but I absolutely love getting up at 6am, having my coffee, having, having my breakfast, studying. And it's just like a little routine that I have, but I feel it keeps me healthy in a sense. What is your thoughts on that? Do you think repetition and consistency is a good thing? Or do you think sometimes we need to break out of um so-called routines that we have
1: i think routines
0: really important and it
1: can support well-being hugely i think we just need to be careful about following our guide when we're sticking mm-hmm. to the routine so we don't get rigid about the routine and we don't adapt it so what we need to do is you know w- you know I, I for me my routine is that i try and do some activity i mainly work from home um, so I don't see anybody if I'm not careful during the day, and it can be isolating. So, and and also I'm sat down all you know for a really long period. So at lunchtime, I've 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 created a habit where I go for a walk or a gentle jog with a neighbour, um, and we do that most days. And so I get my little fix of social interaction, and we get some physical movement as well. And and that massively improves. You know my well-being, but also my productivity in the afternoon. I I I work so much better, and I'm happier as as a person. But you know, I have to flex it. So if I'm if I'm ill or really tired or I didn't sleep well, maybe we'll walk. I I do try to go. It's it's a bit like um you know just flexing the routine, but trying not to stop completely doing flexible pace activity so you you reduce it down maybe you go for a short gentle walk but you don't not go at all unless you're super sick and you really feel like you obviously then have a few days off but then come back gently so I think it's it's flexing your routine to make it workable and not getting really it's you're not doing it for the sake of the routine you're doing it for the sake of the value and it's remembering the value and then using the routine to support that
0: Right, very well said, yeah, absolutely. We do have to listen to our bodies as well, right, at the end of the day, sometimes, like you said, if you're tired or you're on your monthlies or something you you have to to listen to your body, and uh I'm a person that loves raving, so during my raving days, <laughs> I definitely don't have my routine, but you know i I do allow myself to have that once in a while, speaking of your um routine, which thank you, I think it was very helpful as a final question, I do want to ask. What is a technique that you use or incorporate in your life on a daily or at least consistent basis that you can recommend people to get started?
1: Well, I definitely recommend doing some physical activity and some social in your needs. You know, finding if it's if it's if you love groups of people, then it's winding that in, finding ways to fit that in. For me, I really enjoy um, spending time with with close friends and in and, and smaller groups. So it's finding, it's it's working out what what you know what really serves you and and what improves your sense of well being afterwards. So I definitely need to, to. I think physical activity in whatever uh, form is incredibly important and I I sometimes I do try and get up early and do a little bit of yoga in the morning and I find I always again have a better morning if I do that Um, but I never ever want to get up and do it Um, that's the (laughs) funny thing I and I've been doing it for quite a long time and I still don't want to and I think it's just remembering you could slip into the critic at that point why don't you come on get up what's the matter with you or you could be like yeah I'm going to observe and open and bring my compassionate kind of guide to say, yes, I know you don't want to get up this morning. You're feeling really tired. I'm going to notice that you're and and again, do I need to flex it? Was it was it a late night last night? Do I need to try and do less? Do I actually give myself a day off Um, or is it? Well, actually, just. And so I guess what it is, it's about setting expectations that are realistic and reasonable and back to the micro steps. Um, and then being willing to flex them, but try not to just ditch them, um, so that we can maintain these little habits that are good for us that are woven throughout our day to day life. And I think it's about just finding tiny little things, whether it, maybe it's social interact, you know, maybe it's just texting someone you care about or finding time to phone your brother or sister, um, or, or spending 10 minutes playing a game with your child, um, just finding these micro moments of doing something that matters and just weave that into your day.
0: Lee, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I thank you so, so much for your time. And and I really do wish you all the best with your work ahead. Thank you. It's been really, I've really enjoyed being here
1: and wishing you well too
0: thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. I once again, highly, highly recommend purchasing this book. It has so many amazing and easy to use techniques to help you with your everyday life. Once again, it will be shared in this episode's description. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening and we'll catch you guys in the next episode.